Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. How to design and develop successful workplace learning opportunities is a quickly changing and evolving field, with new technologies, best practices, and strategies constantly evolving. And of course, these are different around the world and in different industries. To understand these changes and developments around the world, the L&D Global Sentiment Survey takes the pulse for where workplace learning is headed this year. For the past 10 years, this survey has been a leading indicator shedding light on what is happening in L&D around the world. The L&D Global Sentiment Survey was developed 10 years ago by Donald Taylor, who is the chair of the Learning Technologies Conference in London, the leading workplace learning event in Europe, and the one that he has led for the past 20 years. He's an author of the book Learning Technologies in the Workplace, as well as many articles and vast accomplishments in the field. I'm thrilled to have him back on the podcast to discuss the results of the Global Sentiment Survey, which uniquely asks one question, what is hot in workplace learning in 2023? Thank you so much, Don, for coming back and joining me on the podcast. Great to be here. Well, it's another year and another year of the results for the Global Sentiment Survey on what is hot in learning and development. I'm really looking forward to hearing the big outcomes for this year. But before we start, this is actually the 10-year anniversary of the Global Sentiment Survey. Can you tell me a little bit about how this all got started? When you edit this, you're going to put in a little, a little drum roll and maybe some trumpets there when you yes, say that, absolutely. Right? Uh, how did it get started? It, it, it was down... Well, I was just having a conversation with some people. I thought, you know, I, I, I just want a quick, easy way, not of trying to find out what people's budgets are. And I had tried doing different surveys in the past where I'd ask people, what are you going to do this year? And the problem was in asking that, I, I found that people tended to say, well, I'm going to do more of everything, which doesn't really help you. So I thought, well, I just want to ask a very simple question that gets to the pulse of what people are thinking about or rather what people are feeling about what's going on. And so I just thought, well, I'll ask this question, what's hot next year? Give them some choices, put it on the blog. Literally, I thought about it one evening, next day it was on the, on the blog. And I know a few hundred people answered from the UK. And I thought that was interesting. Next year did the same thing, changed the options slightly. Third year, I think we got to 15 options plus other. And at that stage, we'd started to develop a bit of momentum. And it was possible to say, well, given the limits on the data, we can see some trends over the past two years. And then things built up over time. So it started from a very simple idea, and it's got more complex over time. But we tried always to keep that essential, two essential things. Firstly, that it's very quick to answer, so that you get a pulse check. People aren't over analyzing things. By the way, I think that's how people, most people answer surveys anyway. We possibly tend to put too much emphasis on what people might be thinking when it's probably a gut reaction. So the first thing is, 
keep it short and simple. And the second thing is try to make it as wide as possible. So it's very shallow. We only ask three questions and it's very broad. We have 4,000 people this year answering from 100 countries around the globe. Fantastic. So that was a very long answer, Kinga, to a very short question. <laughs> no, I mean, th that's absolutely fantastic because it really does cut to what is on top of people's minds. What are they really mm. thinking about in, in LND globally? And was there over these 10 years, was there something that surprised you? Yes. Firstly, that some things clearly have trends that you can quite clearly see over years. And I was expecting the data to be much noisier. Now, given the way we collect data, we don't use the same people each year to uh, go out and find people. So we have different partners. We don't have the same people voting each year, as far as we know. Certainly, we have more people each year, so that we can't be the same people. And yet, despite all those things, there are very clear patterns that emerge when you deal with the numbers at a large scale. So North America, for example, has a regular pattern of behavior. So does South America, and the two of them are very different. Uh, over time, things clearly always fade away. Well, not always, there are some exceptions, but almost everything fades away over time because it becomes less hot, which is, I wasn't expecting that to be so, so graphically clear. Mm -hmm. The other thing which I find interesting, possibly, <laughs> possibly slightly depressing, is it's revealed to me the extremely manipulable i don't know but people are people can change their minds easily and that is very clearly seen in the results of the survey over time they can change their minds easily in terms of jumping on a bandwagon of a certain i'm not trend. trying to paint is people in i'm not trying to paint people into a corner uh, and it might be that they are consciously jumping on a bandwagon or it might be something less conscious so you take sweden for example they've always voted in the three in the four years of the survey they've always voted collaborative and social learning very high and in 2020 it was number one in their table 2021 it was number one but in 2022 it dropped down to number two and what was number one for them that year leaping i think it was 5.3 percent up their table where everywhere else in the world it was falling down the table was reskilling and upskilling and i just I, I had no idea why this weird anomalous result should come from. And I asked the Swedes during a webinar with them, they said, it's very simple, Donald. It's this book, Per Lager's book, Upskill, Och, Reskill. It came out in August. Well, it comes out in August. The survey starts in November or December, runs for two months. So by the time the survey comes out, everyone in Sweden was talking about reskilling and upskilling. Now, they haven't consciously jumped on a bandwagon here. Sometimes that does happen. Mm -hmm. they have, they're not probably consciously walking around saying, oh, that now is a really important thing. But people react to what I call the wordscape around them. The words that are around them become, if they are sufficiently repeated, absorbed into their own narrative for how they explain the world. So I don't think anybody was consciously thinking, oh, it's that Pear Lager's book, I need to repeat it. But... It was clearly seen in the result. And we see that again and again with lots of different things. That's just one very clear example. Yeah. We've seen that again and again, lots of different examples. Interesting. Well, it's good to keep those things in mind on what the yes. data means, but it does give a really good insight into what people are thinking about and maybe we'll be developing, maybe not yes. what's on top of mind. So let's actually uh, talk about one of the first things that really jumped out in the data this year in 2023 is artificial intelligence, yeah. which went from... Not being number 12 last year to being number two this year. But even more interestingly, it's been taking a bit of a 
a swing up and down. So can you tell me a little bit about what's interesting about artificial intelligence this year? Well, thank you for drawing on that. And I, you know, artificial intelligence is extraordinary in what's happened this year. So you, you quite rightly say it's gone from 12th position to second position. It was on the way down. It was on decline, which is completely normal. This is what happens to options over time. When we started the survey 10 years ago, mobile delivery was number one. It is now number 15. And it's made its way down over the table because, after all, over time, mobile learning has, or mobile delivery has gone from being hot to being hmm, something that's par for the course. It's standard. And the AI was on its way down. We don't know why AI was in decline. It's likely that it was very exciting and then it became less exciting. That's the probable explanation. Right. We always have to be careful about what we read into things. Mm -hmm. We do know that one thing starts to decline, they are expected to keep declining. That's the absolute standard. What happened during the pandemic was it fell from 2020 to 2021, as you would have expected. It leveled out, actually rose slightly, 21 to 22. So something was already underway. But then, of course, what happened was ChatGPT came out on the 30th of November. The survey was launched on the 8th of December. And it's the wordscape again. Suddenly everyone's talking about AI. And the thing shot up the table from, as you say, 12th to second, a jump of 4.5%. Now, any option that's in decline has never jumped up by more than 1.1% in the past. So 4.5% is massive anyway. It's particularly massive for something that's on the decline. So clearly this indicates something that people were excited and interested in, and we hit it just at the right time with the survey. Interesting. So we'll see where that goes, because certainly a lot of people are not just talking about it, but also trying it out and struggling a little bit with that implications of chat GPT. And, and what that means in education and what that means in learning. So it's it's not anymore, whereas in the past, it might have been more of the concept of AI, yeah. do you think? And now it's yeah, absolutely. somewhat of the application of it as well. Well, what happened during the pandemic when AI was largely falling down then leveled off was that the learning and development profession, which makes up about half the survey respondents, the rest are split across different work groups. What largely happened was that people were flat out just trying to get the job done. They were trying to deliver training, get people skilled up in very difficult circumstances. And so the things that rose up were collaborative learning and coaching and mentoring, because those are the things that people felt provided some sort of human touch in an otherwise quite isolated world. This year, it, the pandemic is not behind us, but that sentiment is behind us. And what happened was, during those three years, enormous amounts of work had been done. And to your point, ChatGPT came out and it moved suddenly AI in people's minds from being some sort of abstract idea, largely characterized online and in magazines and newspapers, usually by a robot hand on a keyboard or a face that was half robot, half human. And there was this otherworldly sense of it to something that was right in front of people and you could actually use. And in the first five days of ChatGPT being available, it got 1 million subscribers, which is the fastest take-up rate of any online service ever. So people were very interested in it. And it's only the tip of the iceberg. It's the tip of the iceberg for large language models. Mm -hmm. Large language models themselves are, although extremely impressive, only one part of what AI can do. And there's been this sort of arms race since the survey came out 
with people developing and delivering more and more complex and sophisticated AI tools, and that shows no signs of letting up. So you're quite right. People are looking at it now, and they are slightly surprised, to say the least, by what you can do with AI. A lot of them rightly will be wondering, how can I use this in a positive sense? Also, how does this threaten me? One, can I just say one thing about how the different work groups responded to the idea yes, of AI? absolutely. I asked this question, where do you work? And about 80% of people respond to it. So we have a fairly good view of where people are working uh, in the survey. The people who identified themselves, there are four groups effectively. The people who identified themselves as working in education were the people who voted highest for artificial intelligence. On that table, which is 419 people, it's 13.8%. It's a big chunk of the, of the votes went towards that. The next one was 10.6% for reskilling upskilling. So it was, a, it was a hugely popular winner. Self-employed and vendors put it in second position. Workplace learning and development put it in eighth position with 6.9%, which is exactly half of what education voted. Now, obviously, when ChatGPT came out, the focus was on text, the focus was on essays and writing and homework, and are we going to be able to continue with our model of delivery of education and schooling? That was the initial focus. But it, it absolutely applies to workplace learning and development, and I do not understand why workplace learning developments vote was so comparatively low and by the way by the way for education because i look at the results coming in day by day for education it started at one it dropped down to three and it went up to one it stayed at one from some point in the middle of december right to the end of the survey for self-employed and the vendors it started off a bit all over the place but then slowly gained ground over time to end up in that second position with workplace learning and development it rose up to sixth position and then actually fell away to eighth position. So people were thinking that other things were more important than AI. I don't get it. I really don't, Kingo. That, for me, that's an enduring puzzle I'll never get. I bet if you ran the survey now, it would rank higher than eighth on the workplace L&D table. Right. I think people were just concentrating on other things. Right. They're concentrating on other things. The conversation is picking up more and more. And so next year, we'll see where that ends. But that is very interesting. You you did mention uh, reskilling and upskilling, which was something that really struck me on the results this year, because it is still number one. It mm -hmm. is in the number one position, but it took a really big fall from last year. It's something yes. that we hear about all the time. It's something that a lot of L&D professionals are focused on. So what's happening? Well, again, the, you know, the data is correct, and we always have to bear in mind that the data is one thing, the interpretation is something else. So my interpretation, yes. uh, when you ask me what's happening, is that, and by the way, it was 13% when it came onto the table two years ago. It was 12.5% last year. It's 12% this year, so down, five, down half percentage point each year. It would have been 11.5% this year, were it not for an absolutely huge vote for reskilling and upskilling from Malaysia which I can't explain, but there was a very strong, very homogenous vote from Malaysia uh, for that particular option. So it's definitely on the way down. I think what's happened is this. We talked earlier about the wordscape, the words that surround us and how in our narrative, our interpretation of the world, we reflect those words back. Reskilling and upskilling, if you look at Google Trends, continues to be, both those terms, continue to be used and to search for in increasing amounts. And they have been since about the middle of 2019. 
there's been a definite ramp up. But it may be they are now being used less in learning and development. And so they're not being reflected back quite so much. And it may be that if you're looking at the noise that's out there, the noise is much more around other things, particularly AI and skills-based talent management, which are, there's a lot of talk around those things. Mm. So I kind of think that it's, it's one of those things which is popular, exciting, important, but a bit abstract. In contrast, other things like ChatGPT and AI are seen as being now much more tangible, and they're probably getting more people's sentiment, more of their brain space. Interesting, because, of course, it's not as if reskilling and skills and upskilling has been solved. It is a huge, <laughs> no, no. Uh, very confusing uh, problem for, for a lot of organizations on how to address it. And no one's really cracked that. And it remains yeah. an issue. It's not, it's not only that you know, we've always been doing reskilling and upskilling. But what's fascinating is that it remains an issue uh, of quite great acuity because... Mm -hmm of the AI because of the automation. So this stuff is coming in that we hear about and it, it does mean that people now will need new skills for at least part of their jobs. Right. So it's not been solved. And in fact, it may even be more acute. We still, we still expect to see it falling down the table next year. Interesting, very interesting. Um, so in terms of geography, you do uh, have a hundred countries who participate. Yep. What do you see in terms of the major trends in geography? One thing that made note of in, in the report is the difference between collaboration and social learning and the interest in AI in South America and North America and how it's completely flipped, which yeah. I thought was uh, fascinating. It is fascinating. And it's, it is extraordinary that these two continents, North America and South America, have such persistently different views of the world. So in North America, uh, which includes, is largely driven by the US, but includes everything basically from Canada down to Panama, North and Central America. There, artificial intelligence was number one. Reskilling, upskilling was pushed into second position. A AI seen as being important. The other great trend that we've seen persistently since 2017 in North America is that personalization always outranks collaboration. Interesting. The individual always outranks the community, if you like. In South America, it's the complete opposite. Um, now, we've only got reliable numbers for South America for the past three years, but we had 277 people voting from South America this year, most of them from Brazil. Very, very strong support, as always, for collaborative and social learning there. So whereas it's eighth for North and Central America, for South America, it's first position with 13.3%. That's a very strong vote. Second position is personalization with 10%. So it's a good clear 3% difference between first and second. North America, wildly interested in AI. South America, stick it down at number nine. It just was not exciting people. Hmm. It, it, it's, it, it's a fascinating and ongoing question. By the way, reskilling, upskilling in, in South America has never budged from about 9.3%, which is where it's been for about the past three years. So that also is not something that is seen as being so popular there, whereas in North America, number two. So hmm. two continents completely divided by more than the Panama Canal. <laughs> right. Interesting. Uh, did you see any other geographical differences that there are there are persistent trends that go on. So we know that, as I say, in, in Sweden, they always put collaborative learning uh, high. The Irish will always have coaching and mentoring very high up. Okay. The um, the Irish, by the way, this year put AI. They had the lowest vote for AI of anybody. It was four point something percent strong votes for AI across 
the middle of Europe. So France, Germany uh, and Poland all voting very strongly for AI. Uh, elsewhere, it was less strong in Europe, typically. Strange enough, in Ukraine, the vote for AI was, was quite small. We had a great vote from Ukraine this year, uh, seven something percent. And I asked them, why, why is that so, so small? And they said, well, you, you talked about how chat GPT has fueled the interest in AI elsewhere. We didn't get it in Ukraine, in Ukrainian, until February. And so okay. after the survey was finished, it came online. So right. I think that indicates, apart from anything else, the, the fact that chat GPT was fueling interest in AI elsewhere. So there are, there are individual differences mm-hmm. um, like that in Ukraine, like a strong interest in the Netherlands in, in performance support, which are explained by local circumstances. In the Netherlands, it's Alfred Remitz has always driven a strong support for performance support there. And there are others like the strong support for coaching and mentoring in Ireland, which is never quite explicable, but it's one of these ones that's absolutely persistent year on year. And I asked them about it. I said, why is it? Why is it you're always voting so highly for, for this particular option? And they say, well, and this is them. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to characterise the Irish, right, in some sort of weirdly racist way. They're saying, Donald, we just like to talk. And <laughs> it, you know, that's their explanation for it. And it's been number two in their list for the this year and the past four years that's interesting it's always there and i do think it's a cultural thing but we have to be careful we have to be careful about slapping the label culture on things to explain something i really want a lot of data over a long period of time from a lot of different people before i'm happy to say yeah that's that's identifiable as a real trend sure there's a lot of different factors that play into why certain things are more popular or more uh, on top of mind in in these regards but it is interesting about mentoring and coaching because that is a topic that has been very, very prevalent across countries and industries as some yep. as a really important addition to uh, bolstering professional development and and workplace learning. So it's interesting why the Irish are honing in on it so much. But I certainly have seen it be top of mind in in other industries in other countries, but obviously not as much as other topics. So somehow the Irish are they're ahead of the game. I think what's interesting about the survey is you've got to choose from the list, right? So you have to choose what do you think is coaching mentoring more or less important than the other things that you choose to put on there. And people do consciously make a choice. So it rose up during the pandemic because, well, sorry, my interpretation is that people were wanting more human contact. End of the pandemic, it fell away along with collaboration, which fell 2%, easily the biggest faller uh, since the pandemic. It rose up in Ireland, though, interestingly enough. So the, the Irish were not part of the global trend against coaching and mentoring. Okay, very interesting. So we've talked about how things go up and down for different reasons, <laughs> but there's two that you said had stayed relatively stable for a very long time, yeah. which is to show value and consulting more deeply with the business. So yeah. can you tell me a little bit about what that what that really means and yeah. uh, what do you think that implies? It's very interesting. There's a third one as well, performance support, but I don't, I don't stress that in the report so much because it's not been on the table for such a long time. But these two options plus performance support stick pretty resolutely in the middle of the table. And in fact, over the past five years, since 2019, showing value and consulting more deeply with the business have actually risen up slightly by about an average of almost 1%. Uh, so what does this mean? Firstly, I think... It's important to say that the reason why 
things fall away over time is become because they become less hot. So something is trendy, is exciting, it becomes less exciting. Fine, it becomes less hot. There is a core of people, a core percentage of people in learning development for whom these topics, the idea that first you consult with the business, you go and do something, you come back and you show the value you've delivered, that these topics are not subject to the same rules. They're not things that are exciting temporarily and then they die away. Rather, they are things of enduring interest to this group of people. And I, I don't know it's the same group of people. I do say, as you, as you know, that year on year we have more people joining, so they can't be the same people joining. So it sounds to me as if we have a group of people within learning development, a certain percentage, for whom this idea of providing value is constantly important. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think it shows that there are some things which are susceptible to trends and other things which aren't. The slight upward tick gives me hope for learning development that these things combined with the greater interest in data that we've shown this year will lead people to being much more focused on value and solving problems than on creating and delivering content, which has been the traditional area for learning right. development in the past. Absolutely. And there's always such a demand for showing results and showing impact. And sometimes that's a, a bit of a tightrope to walk in how do you show measurable results and impact in learning, but it is certainly a topic that is on top of everyone's mind. You know, since the year 2000 at the Learning Technologies Conference, we've always had at least one session on how do you show value. Right. It's not the case, though, that there's always strong demand for it. In fact, I'd much rather walk, work in an organisation where people were demanding to be shown that there was impact than the alternative, which is what David Wilson calls the conspiracy of convenience, where people nod happily at the idea that there's been a problem identified, training will be applied to it, feedback forms will be collected, and everyone will continue without actually checking that anything has happened. That conspiracy of convenience where everyone's convinced they've done their job, but in fact nothing changes, is far more detrimental to organizations and learning than anything else. Absolutely. That is, uh, that's the box ticking exercise of <laughs> learning and development that we want to all avoid. Um, fantastic. There's definitely a lot of interesting insights. You've already touched on some of the things that we should really be aware of when we're interpreting this data. Yeah. But what do you think people should really come away with to pay attention to on how they... I, I, would, I would invite people to read the report themselves. I've got a whole page in it on interpretation. It's very important that people look at the data, which are the numbers and they're irrefutable, and then ask themselves, well, okay, do I believe this? What caveats do I need to have around that? I've also got a page of caveats as well. And then look at the data and interpret it themselves. I think that's very important. So I'm not going to push people to try to believe something from this. What I would say is use it for its prime purpose, which is provoking questions. If people are saying these things around the world, then we probably need to be thinking about why they're saying this and walk away with some views as to what this means about the future of learning and development. Because I always say it's a skewed sample. The people who respond are self-selecting. They're people who are interested in technology. These are people who will be almost certainly in the early adopters slash innovator part of the diffusion of innovation curve what they think now some of it will become much more widely adopted later on so we have to ask ourselves all right which of these things is going to become more widely adopted later on and the one question i would invite people to ask themselves is do you think that ai 
is like mobile learning, which was super hot and is now widespread and standard? Or do you think it's more like something like curation, which was super hot, but is now only used in a few specialized areas? Because they both followed the same pattern of falling down over time. And I'd like people to think about that. My own answer is very clear. I think AI is one of the two or three things that in my working life of the past 40 years have revolutionized how we live and work and learn. And I would encourage people to get out there, experiment with AI, see what it can do for you. And I would also say this, there's a lot of talk about how AI is going to take away people's jobs. That will happen for some people, a small number of people. If your job is purely about creating content, then you are under threat. And you need to think about how you can use AI to augment what you do. In any other job, AI will be a tool that you can put to good use, but it's going to be a tool that you will have to use in a way that is unlike probably any other tool that you've used. Like having a personal assistant that is extremely effective and fast and sometimes wildly inaccurate. And you can use it to automate tasks. You can use it to find out information far faster than ever before. And you've absolutely got to check it. I've just literally asked Bard, Bing, and ChatGPT to give me a chapter-by-chapter chapter summary of a book. To be fair to Bing, it said I can't do it. The other two gave me great chapter-by-chapter chapter summaries, which were completely fictitious. They bore no relation to the book whatsoever. It was absolutely fascinating exercise. So use the tools, play with them, and always bring human intervention to bear because that's where we add value. Right. Absolutely. Bring human intervention to bear. That's such an important aspect because as you said, we do have to look, work with it differently. It's a different way of working with this tool and we have yeah. to learn how to do that. I love what you said that really looking at the results, people should, it's a launching pad for questions, for questioning, for thinking a little bit more deeply about all of these different aspects I think you've already answered the question just now when I was going to say, what are you most excited about in L&D this year? I don't know. AI, I think AI is super exciting, but I'm not somebody who bangs a drum for AI. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it has tremendous potential. I, I think it can also be abused. And I think the greatest chance of abuse comes not from AI itself, but from people positioning themselves between you and AI and saying, follow me because I know how to do things. I think we need to be very careful about that. So I am excited about that, but I'm also excited about other things actually on the survey, in particular, going back to the unchanging view of value and consulting. For me, that is actually more exciting, that it's steady, it's stable, and it's slightly increasing in popularity over time. For me, that gives me great hope for the future. Because after all, AI is only a tool. The reason why we do this job is to help individuals and organizations fulfill their potential. And that is best done by firstly consulting, then doing stuff and showing the value afterwards. AI is a great tool, but only a tool on that journey. Right. No, that's a really, really good point. And, uh, and there's been incredible, incredible movement in making really valuable and mm -hmm. uh, and, and useful learning experiences and that your data shows that as well as a continuing 
movements. So that's fantastic. Very interesting. Well, thank you again this year, Donald, for sharing the Global Sentiment Survey results and uh, and your interpretation and insights into this world. The link, of course, is in the show notes for the for the report. And uh, and I very much look forward to seeing you at the Learning Technologies Conference in London shortly. Looking forward to seeing you in May at Learning Technologies in London. And I hope you'll be able to invite me back next year for the 11th survey results. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you.